Happy Thursday, everybody. We are live at lunch today with Connor Gleadhill, physiotherapist who has come all the way from Newcastle, currently at the university at the moment. A little bit more about him before we start. He is a public researcher and a PhD candidate. And I have also just lost you from my screen. Hello, Connor. Are you there? I am here. I am here. Hi, Jade. So PhD candidate, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Uh, yeah, and thank you so much for having me on, Jade. My PhD is in knowledge translation. So part of that bill of work is actually to establish a practice-based research network. And as you put in the Facebook group, which is correct, this is going to be the first, uh, Australia's first practice-based research network. So what that is, what it involves is physiotherapists um, designing their own research questions and we help them to kind of design their own research studies um, and so it's having clinicians involved from the get-go which is pretty different for research um, it kind of flips the research model on its head a little bit and then the other side to my PhD is causal inference and that's a lot of statistical methodology that I'm not going to get into today so uh, and together with that, you're also a strength conditioning coach, physiotherapist, and you've got a bit of background working with the government, organisational teams, leadership, which is why we've got you here today. You share my passion for leadership and our role as allied health professionals in that space. We've certainly talked a little bit about that offline and I can't see, I can't wait to hear what you have to present for us today as part of our webinar series. But I think before we start, maybe we should get to know a little bit more about you with maybe some four hard-hitting questions. Let's start with your favourite movie. Uh, straight off the bat, I'm going to uh, kind of disrupt the question process here, Jade. I've got two. So I've got one that definitely is my favourite movie, and that's Arrival. Great movie. Makes you think. But... One that's very topical and it's kind of bubbling under the surface of me at the moment is idiocracy. Uh, and it's kind of because the world might be turning into the movie idiocracy. So if you haven't seen it, go and watch it. It's fantastic. I haven't seen either of them. So I'll add them to my list. Yeah. What about, let's go with your favorite food. Favorite food. So I kind of answered the favorite chocolate bar here, Jade. My favorite chocolate bar. So again, disrupting the question process is Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. Had to answer that one. Yeah, and, and the accent. Where's the accent from? It's a bit of a weird one, isn't it? So I'm Irish. I'm from Belfast. I'm a Belfast boy. But uh, I've been in Australia now for over 16 years, uh, nearly 18 years now. So, um, so we yeah, can it's a bit of a mix. Consider you a local then. And obviously, in True Growth RX style, we love to showcase people who are contributing greatly to allied health. You're certainly one of these people worth knowing. I would love to know from you what leadership means to you. I love this question. And I think it's, it's simultaneously uh, a really easy question to answer, but a really hard one. And I think the, the difficulty comes in um, to the fact that leadership means everything to everyone almost and, and it means so many things so I answered this very personally and so for me leadership is relating to a few years ago I sat down and I, I figured out my core values as a human 
And so I'll, I'll kind of just list my core values. Leadership um, means these core values to me. So acting with honesty, uh, practicing humility, working uh, and showing the way with diligence and uh, focus on the future and continuing to grow. So that's what leadership means to me. And we really do, as leaders, you lead by example and you set the standards for yourself that you do for everybody else. And, yeah, it's really nice to hear you talk about core values because they're so, so important. And I think this is why getting you on today and hearing some of your passion in this space, particularly working with high-performing teams and your background in that space, I think we've got a huge amount to learn from you and that's the, the topic that we are discussing today is the important role of leadership as health, as allied health or healthcare professionals. Mm -hmm. uh, but I forgot the most important question. Do you consider Crocs an appropriate and reputable form of footwear? Funny you should ask that, Jade. And I have uh, an answer prepared, but mainly because I've been watching your fascination or, or your, your disgust with Crocs with fascination for, for many months now. So I'm going to share my screen and uh, because I want to use this to discuss a really interesting ah. factor about Crocs. So Jay, can you tell me what you see in the first section of this picture? So section A, what, what do you see? I'm trying not to look, but I will because I'm <laughs> going to humor you here. Um, I see pink. I see pink shoes if you mm. can call them that because pink's my favorite color and then do you see uh i guess do you see anything else then in in the first section section a more crocs but green ones green ones pink and green crocs well done completely correct okay so just just take a minute and and have a look at section b and section c uh, and just kind of reflect and this would be really nice for everyone else as well so what Tell, tell me now, what do you see in section B and section C? I can't believe you've done this. Um, section B, I, I'm seeing more of brown Crocs, so the colour of the shoe is gone, mm -hmm. but the socks, the colour of the socks has also changed. Mm -hmm. um, and in C, again, much less colour and lots of green socks. Green socks. So I pass. So this is cool. You, you definitely pass because this, this shows, this is one of the beauties about Crocs. Do you remember the dress? Do you remember the, the internet sensation, physical, visual illusion, the dress that, that kind of made waves in the internet a few years ago? Yeah. So this dress uh, was then unpacked further by some scientists and researchers and this is by Pascal Wallach. It's really cool, kind of famous experiment now. But the, the research paper, and I'll link it in for you, Jade, and for your team, is called Disagreeing About Socks and Crocs. Um, so the dress is a visual illusion that basically it really depends on your prior beliefs, kind of how you see it. So half of the world saw it yellow and or gold and white, half of the world saw it black and blue. So they kind of wanted to figure out how this happens. And then what they landed on to, to try to unpack this further is Crocs. And the reason is because people don't typically have a prior belief about Crocs because Crocs come in every color. And so what you're seeing in section B is the mint crocs so the green crocs under pink light 
And what you're seeing in section C is actually the pink crocs in under green light. But what your brain has done has predicted the color of the light. So it's trying to figure out what, where, what is the light here? And it's used the tube socks to do that. So we have more prior beliefs about tube socks than we do about crocs. The crocs kind of become gray or brown or for me, and I wanted to bring this to you, Jade, they kind of become a mirror to show you uh, some beliefs and some factors and some, some prior, you know, things that you're bringing to a situation about yourself. Um, and so that's uh, the, the awesome, funny thing about Crocs and something interesting. I thought that, you know, it might, it might help you get okay with Crocs again, but maybe nothing will do that. <laughs> it's been very entertaining. I'm going to work. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. We'll, we'll go away from the Crocs now so you don't have to look at them anymore. Um, so I'll, I'll start Jade and we can talk uh, through this presentation today. And again, thank you so much for having me along and, and thank you for everyone listening. Um, so today my talk is on the leadership role of allied health. And, and as you say, Jade, I'm, I'm, this is something I've, I'm very passionate about enough. It's very dear to my heart, the, the role of uh, allied health and how, how much of it is around leadership and how, how we need to become the leaders of tomorrow. So what I will first do is just kind of tell you what I'm going to talk about. And I'll, I'll talk about three ideas, three themes. And, and I want today to be a discussion based um, uh, talk uh, so I want your team and, and hey all the guys at Western Region Health um, to jump in whenever you want and also we'll get the guys uh, and people on Facebook to jump in to talk about connection um, and so the idea here is our patients have a really rough ride through the health system they have a pretty hard time of it and we have a key role as allied health professionals in connecting the fragmented care for our patients Secondly, I want to talk about influence and if we're all, we're all aware of um, what the important role of leaders is in, in influencing those around us. Um, our patients are becoming fatter, they're becoming sicker, they're becoming sadder than they ever have before. Um, as allied health professionals, we have a key role in the health system of now and into the future because we might be the only ones uh, well equipped to deal with this properly and, and in the best way. So we have a real position of influence in the health system. Lastly, I want to talk about creating leaders. And for us, for, for any health professional, the, the number one job is to help our patients. And for me, lead that, that has a big uh, connection with leadership and uh, are teaching our patients to navigate the health system and become leaders themselves. Um, and making better choices with vision is, uh, the is our most important job. Um, but really importantly, I want to acknowledge the first people of Australia. And uh, for me, meeting, uh, I'm at uni at the moment, Jade, and I want to acknowledge you, Wabakal people. I want to also acknowledge any Aboriginal person meeting with us here today, uh, especially in this time. And as I said, I'm a Belfast boy, so I, I'm well aware of um, what discrimination and, and, and prejudice can do. And I, and I just want to, to really address 
this time in history uh, for my talk. So um, I also want to acknowledge some of my co-authors and people that have actually contributed to the ideas in, in this um, presentation today. And they're Dr. Hope and Lee, Associate Professor Chris Williams and Professor Steve Camper and the rest of the Population Health Musculoskeletal team. I also would like to thank the co-founders of the Future Health Network, a program of education that we run, um, and that is Dave Renfrew and Justin Smith. I'm sure we'll get onto that, Jade. Amazing. So, what I'd like to talk about is uh, a challenge to start with, and I've talked about what, what I am gonna deliver in this conversation, but I, but I first wanna give you the bottom line up front. And it's a challenge, and that's what I wanna to discuss today. It's time that we as Allied Health started to lead, and, and I think my challenge is who else is gonna do it but us, and, and I wanna follow on from that. So, getting into my first idea about connection. And what I've done with these ideas and these themes is I've picked out uh, important leadership quotes. And Jade, you actually shared beautiful, wonderful quotes on Growth RX. And, um, and I think everyone who's interested in leadership has their fair share of quotes. So, um, but what I've done is I've tried to use these quotes to, as a vehicle to kind of discuss these ideas. And so my first quote, it surrounds two key problems relating to connection. So number one, the patient journey is really difficult. Um, they face lots of fragmented care processes and systems, and they have to attend lots of different appointments. They have to access a really confusing web of funding to get where they need to go. And if anyone is aware of integrated care, the, the concept and the, the theme of integrated care, um, it's a bit of a buzzword in the health system, a bit of a knee-jerk reaction to this really hard and tough journey that our patients currently go through. Um, but importantly, integrated care doesn't work unless we are willing to uh, do it and are willing to work to, to make it successful. And so this relates to the second key problem within the idea of connecting and connection is that, um, there is a really significant lack of programs and initiatives designed to promote interprofessional collaboration. And I've referenced a really nice review and I'll link all of these readings in with you at the end, Jade. I've referenced a really nice review there. That's Cochrane Review trying to find out how many um, programs are actually out there in the world designed to help professionals, health professionals work together. And there's not a lot so we've got a really big gap of programs designed to help health professionals work together. And so these two ideas revolve around this quote. So why do we value leadership, connection and grace? Uh, because it's scarce and that scarcity creates value. And that's by uh, an author that everyone will probably be aware of, Seth Godin. And so this idea of connection is a really important one for allied health. And I think it links into this next idea that we're gonna talk about. But a little reading I'd like to point people to, something that's really influenced my thinking on this, is Emergent by Stephen Johnson. 
full title there. It's a nice book. is Emergent, Ignite Purpose, Transform Culture, and Make Change Stick. And I think as allied health professionals, we are the ones that need to step up to the plate and take on a role of change agents and really try to work well within this confusing health system for our patients and help each other work well together and really change things for the better for the patients of the future. So Jade, this links into my second idea. So what I'll do is we'll, we'll talk about these ideas and then I think it will be really nice to have a, have a good chat afterwards about them. So the second idea is on influence. And again, I've picked out a, a nice quote by, by a well-known author, but this speaks to some really big problems in the world today non-communicable diseases, so chronic disease, are the biggest killer on the planet. And it's only going to get bigger. Musculoskeletal problems create more lives lost to disability than any other condition out there. Chronic pain in Australia costs more than $140 billion per year. And so we have a really important global call to action for people that deal with chronic disease and musculoskeletal conditions. And again, reference the World Health Organization. And at this point in time, I think, it's, I think it's fair and I think it's important for me to reference key organization here uh, that, that coordinate efforts. So our medical education, so our doctors, their education is lost in the 20th century our medical community isn't very well equipped to deal with the patients of today, let alone the complex needs of tomorrow. So we are, as allied health professionals, this is our bread and butter. And I think what we all need to remember is, and really start to try to step up to the plate here. And this um, idea and this quote by Simon Sinek encapsulates this idea of influence that there are leaders and that there are those who lead. Leaders hold a position of power or influence. Those who lead inspire us. And I think for us as allied health professionals, we again need to become the change agents that we have in our position. And we have a position of influence, but we also have the chance to really inspire the rest of the health system to change and to address the patients uh, needs and the future of healthcare. So this is getting on to my last idea, and this is on creating more leaders, creating leaders. And so I think whatever your ilk, whatever your modality of choice and whatever your profession, and Jade, I think it's fantastic. We just had a conversation just before this presentation about um, you know, where, uh, I guess, the allied health uh, professional development, um, I guess, uh, ethos comes from, and it's very insular, and, and we don't tend to share and share amongst each other. Um, so I'm talking to every person, every allied health person listening, so whatever, wherever you come from, um, the one thing we're all after as allied health professionals is, is to help people. It's the core of what we do. And importantly, this relates to um, what leadership for me is. 
and leaders don't create followers they create more leaders and our one job as health professionals is to create agency we need to teach our patients to fish stop just providing fish and um, so for me I wanted to pick out a few key characteristics that we can start to talk about for the patient of the future. And these, these are leadership characteristics. So our patient of the future and where we don't have a roadmap and we need to, right now we need to get there together and we need to all try to think about how to get there together with our patients. Number one is to have patients that can critically think, that can sift through really complex information and nuanced information about risks, probability and prognosis and uh, really try to come to an informed choice. Secondly, patients that can tolerate uncertainty and we all know how uncertain pain and chronic disease can be and we need to instill this um, characteristic in our patients Lastly, um, we talk a lot in the health professional world about expectations and we talk a lot about it in pain. You know, expectations do count for a lot. Uh, we also talk a lot about empowerment. We talk about patient-centered care and shared decision-making. But I don't think this is good enough. And I don't think we should just be talking about expectations and shared decision-making I think we need a real partner in our patients. We need a leader with vision, not just expectations. So we need to be able to instill vision and drive in our patients so they know where they need to go to navigate this confusing healthcare system, to navigate this difficult journey um, into the future. And so I don't think this will happen overnight. But I think this last idea by creating leaders is, is the most important job. And I've, and I've finished on that one. Um, and so brief little spiel and ideas over with Jade. And, and I might throw it over to you and see if we can start this discussion. I, I love everything that you're saying. And that there's a common thread that I keep hearing in your voice that resonates with me. One of them is core values. Leadership's not about virtue signaling, saying I'm the best, I'm the best, look at me. It, but it also is leading by example. So if you're not sure about yourself and if you're not sure about the authentic nature of your decisions and the responses and the reactions to the decisions that you make, then it becomes really difficult. And the second one for me that I kept hearing you say was influence over and over again, because you know, even putting together you know, a leadership course, which is, which is a huge feat mm. for allied health professionals and has taken about four years in the making, common things occur commonly and influence comes up all the time because leadership for me really is about impact and and you get to that point through a, a few ways and influence is one of them but if you're influencing somebody else through authority through your actions or through your behaviors then you've also got a duty of care to that person and that's kind of i think what you're saying when we're dealing with patients all the time even though you've got one person in the room if you've got one person following you then by default you're leading 
and the, the influence is uh, my phone's echoing sorry um i think it comes down to a few things i'm gonna have to turn my phone off sorry everyone um is firstly probably challenging people to think differently i would say uh, and then also igniting curiosity so saying something that somebody might not necessarily think and, and often a totally different perspective sometimes but the empathetic nature that we are as allied health professionals is we can create a common ground and i think that's what empathy is is you know I, i'm not going through what you're going through mm -hmm. but i'm going to try and put myself in your shoes so i would love to hear more from you about the, the next step of influence and and the core values as such is it is it things like empathy is it you know because obviously you can have very extroverted leaders and very introverted leaders where does your personality come in in leading in the consultation room when we're tying it back to your first step which was connections such a good question and, and i think this may be like i said at the start jade about leadership being everything to everyone and and but yes this is my this is my prior this is my belief on this is that and and you just touched on it you can really only be an authentic leader by being yourself and and so i think where that leads to with allied health professionals is we we have a position of power and, and, and it's, it's instant that the moment the patient walks in the door that, we, that there's a power differential there. And we instantly uh, are elevated to a position of authority. And so this is, you know, leadership by position um, where I think we, we need to be both really aware of that um, and try to try to break this part differential down um, insofar as understanding what we're actually trying to achieve um, in maybe not so much the connection aspect of things jay but, but i think it's back to this last point about creating leaders that we need our patients to be the most authentic um, leader that they can be um, and i do think that we we, you brought up this point, I think as a bit of an aside, but this is really related to this point of I bring, you know, creating leaders, instilling leadership in our patients, um, helping them understand their values is I think a, a really important step. Um, and I don't think we, we, I don't think we have that focus very much as health professionals. We, we're very much step-by-step -step, process based. We assess, you know, maybe when we're, we're assessing, we talk a little bit more than we potentially used to. But um, I do think there's something, something currently missing around actually being, having a really open and shared platform about, right, well, what does the patient in front of me really value um, about this interaction that we're having? Um, and if it's unsure for them, then it, probably one of two things you, you need to actually really communicate better and find these values, t take a little bit more time to discuss these values more and, and tease them out. Or number two, their values aren't actually clear about what they want out of this interaction. 
and also either their interaction with the health system in future for this condition that they have. And I think they need that to navigate it well. Absolutely. It's a catalyst of events, I suppose. You know, we talk about impact through influence, but we influence people through inspiring them to act. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, when you inspire somebody to act, that's when you create a change. You get somebody coming into your consultation room that by default is doing the same thing over and over again, whether that is repetition causing pain, whether that is a mindset that is maybe a little bit more closed, that's not perhaps helping them exercise or lose weight or be more mobile. At the end of the day, we have that patient in front of us that is sitting in front of us asking us to lead them through change. And the first step to being a leader is that you have to think yourself a leader. And every single one of us as health professionals need to actually do that. We need to think ourselves a leader and we need to deliver that with communication and conviction. Because if we don't believe that we are, then the person in front of us surely is not going to believe that either. And often the first step is by showing up, stepping up, and then that leading by example, but actually showing them that it is okay. And it's about creating small, tangible, reasonable, realistic goals. Because if you set and paint a picture that is just so unrealistic, it can be really, really hard to attain. And that mindset shift is really hard to get. So is there something to say here? And I'd love to hear your thoughts on how we actually set goals for patients. You know, is it that smart concept? You know, they have to be realistic. They have to be able, you know, how, how do you actually go about setting that structure in place, knowing that change is what we want mm-hmm. or a shift? You know, at the end of the day, somebody comes into you one way and they want to leave another way. They want to leave moving better, feeling better, and that, that can be mentally or physically, but it's change, isn't it? And change comes through influence which creates an impact and a positive, meaningful response in somebody's life. Mm-hmm. That is what we, we are leaders, and I couldn't be more passionate about this, and the evidence supports that if leaders can be born and made, then we have a duty of care to make more of them. Mm-hmm. And this is what Growth Rx is, and this is why I'm talking to you, because the next generation of healthcare leaders, I think, are going to be exceptional because they're not only learning from just physios, just chiros, just podiatrists. We're sitting here in a webinar, an osteopath, talking to a physio who's also a PhD candidate who loves education. This is where it all starts. There is always someone doing something better than ourselves that we can learn from. And then to take that and feed it into the treatment room to create meaningful change is where the magic happens. So firstly, think yourself a leader, but then... I think it comes down to those baby steps. It sounds really cliche, but the communication side of it that you're talking about is really, really important. So how do we actually reverse engineer that backward? Yeah, the practicalities of this really good and important question. So, and I think, again, I I just, I'd like to challenge clinicians out there to think in a little bit more nuanced and complex way about this idea of, changing something in our patients and um, number one i think what we need to understand is is it change they want so yes people come to us in in a state where some you know 
typically with pain, something's not going well. They're having prob- problems engaging in their life and they have a meaningful, you know, barrier to, to being their fullest self. But what I think we first need to understand is, are they ready for change? And there are really easy, not easy, but, but there's a really nice, you know, I guess, simple framework to, to actually understand, is this person ready? And it's the trans-theoretical um, domains framework. And I think we, if you don't know it, I'll link it in at the end. Um, so, you know, where people come from is that they may be very, very far away from being ready to change. And this is pre-contemplative. And, and then maybe they're starting to consider change. Um, and that's contemplative. And then when, when they're actually starting to think and do things about change, this is when people actually become into action and start to do things. But it's really, we need to, we need to first figure out exactly where this person is with what we know with our knowledge, where they need to be and what they need to change, where they're at with, with this want and desire to change. So figuring out, are they actually ready to change? Do they want to? And, and this is all surrounding this idea of setting goals, Jade. And I think the second, so I look at this as a bit of a pyramid. So our baseline to the pyramid is, have you actually established, do they want it? You know, are they ready? Are they, are they going to go along with you? Then the second level to the pyramid and a bit of a bedrock, I think for me to setting goals is, do they value it? it? Are the goals that you're setting, and, and no one gives goals to their patients anymore, I hope. Um, we, we think about goals together, but is there a value system underneath that goal that's going to keep them adhering to the change process? Um, and so there are actually nice, simple ways to do this, and, and I can give, I can again link this in and, and I can give you a, a nice PDF of the things that we used to do in the team that I used to lead. It's fantastic. Just trying to get people to really sift through their life and, and figure out what their values are and, and why they're there to see you. Um, so, so figuring out if there's a value system to these goals and then I think it's set goals. So the top of the pyramid, the thing you think about last is set some smart goals and smart goals are good. They're, they're and, and it is about simple, small steps, Jade. And, and yes, uh, as the leader, as the allied health professional, um, you do, I think you need, your, your, your job is to keep people accountable to these goals. Um, but it's also to help people have flexibility around the goals. So, and there's some really good research around psychological flexibility as a really nice um, predictor. Um, we don't know if it's a mediator yet. And, and if those two terms are a bit confusing for people, predictor, mediator, come and uh, have a chat to me afterwards because it's actually a nice thing to learn about. Um, but we uh, think uh, one of the jobs is to actually be flexible around our goals as well. Um, and this revolves into momentum and continuing to help our patients find momentum and keep momentum. So. Um, that's a long answer to your short question, Jade. No, not at all. I mean, look, the wealth of knowledge actually continues to keep coming through. But and going back to your second point, you know, there was a couple of things that I kept hearing, which was the influence. And the first thing that you said in, in your first slide 
was connection. If we're wanting to lead somebody and influence them through change, then firstly, we have to make a connection, not only a connection, but a meaningful connection and an authentic connection because nobody is going to follow somebody that they don't believe in. And this is where the conviction comes from, the buy-in, the rebooking, you get through all that. You know, the, funny, the, the fact that money exchanges hands here as well, you don't want to be doing anything unethical. But at the end of the day, to be able to get to inspire somebody to make a meaningful change and to act, you actually have to form that connection with them. And that is very independent. Some people form connections very, very easily. It's in their pay. Some people are just genuinely likable people. And it's one of the, the modules in my leadership course is you have to work with your strengths, or I call them freaknesses, your freaknesses and weaknesses. My team will be laughing at me right now. Because you've got to take that side of your personality that resonates with people yeah. and try and connect with that. Because without connection, we don't build trust. And without trust, you can't sell anything, let alone health or yeah. guidance. And so when you're dealing with leading high-performing teams who are creating impact and change, how do we connect faster? And I know it's meant to be authentic, but at the end of the day, the great practitioners that connect with patients well in that first consultation, in that first five minutes, evidence shows that people make a judgment call on you and perceive you to be something maybe that what they're not within the first seven seconds. Now evidence is even saying three with that cognitive pathway. So how is there a way that we can build these connections so that we can get the best influence faster? I actually really love this question because I think a lot of things about leadership can be really nebulous and hard to grab a hold of and be specific with. Um, and, and, but but it's, it's such a large topic that there are people making some really nice practical, um, you know, actionable steps available for us. But I think not a lot aside from, you know, yourself and maybe some others out there in the social media and, and online realm for, for allied health are doing this. Um, so I guess for me, some ideas are based off, you know, I guess the psychological research that, that we know of. And, and, you know, I, I think, making the first point about you as a leader you, you do need to you need to show the way and, and and you do need to role model and so i think if if you are presenting a an, a healthy and uh and, a, and an open um i guess connectable body and uh and by a body i mean you know the way you present yourself and, and the clothes you're wearing and, and the smile on your face, I think these things really do. Like you said, Jade, we, we make an impression so incredibly fast that I think these things are important. Um, and, and, but that's not to say that, you know, I think when you're having an off day, you, you need to fake this stuff because I think people can see through this, this as well. It's that when you're having an off day, I think you can be honest and, and you can, you know, tr be transparent about your mood or, or the, the energy you're, you know, you're presenting on that day. But I think when we're talking in a few more specifics, um, number one is 
you know, be open and honest with your body language. And there's really nice psychological research on this, um, you know, things like crossing your arms, um, sitting in a confrontational 90 degrees or not 90 degrees um, parallel to, to the patient. So you're facing them, you know, things like these are little nuances, sit 90 degrees, don't cross your arms, um, relax, take a, you know, don't put your arm over the back of your chair or, or anything like that, but be open and relaxed with your body language. People really do respond to this and, and it's a science and people, I think, don't appreciate that this is a science and, and we are, at the end of the day, able to use these factors to improve rapport and to improve therapeutic relationship alliance. And secondly, a nice little practical is to be um, open and honest with your language. And I guess something that I think we like to... We get taught in uni to, you know, I guess, deliver a lot of these subjective questions that are very closed and they lead to specific answers. And then maybe after uni, people like yourself, Jade, and, and for us at Future Health Network, uh, we, we really try to, I guess, deliver some important communication principles um, and making it more open um, and, you know, asking open questions. So these are our what and, and how and, and reflecting it back to the patient. But I think more than that, a nice, simple, practical takeaway is with your language, reflect it back to the patient. Make it about them and, and you're probably going to improve your rapport building capacity instantly. And I think we, we might do that, but really going further, going a step further and trying to think about if this patient has continually come up against the brick wall what do we need to do that's different and and starting with that that framework starting with that lens as in we need to do things differently so what do we need to do differently and actually potentially even ask the patient that question it's not taboo i think all the things that you're saying is the type of person that you are is the type of practitioner that you will be basically and when it comes to personalities and communication, communication is not just verbal. It's also behavioural, as you showed with your two examples. But the other thing as well is that when, I guess when you're looking about forming those connections and making those connections, you, it is the core values that you want to resonate with all the time and that is how you build the connection and all those sorts of things. But when it comes to personalities and when it comes to leadership, and this is a really important point that I want to make, leaders aren't always the most vocal person in the room, the loudest person in the room, the most extroverted person in the room, the person that grabs the microphone. Yes, that exudes confidence and it is classic characteristics, skills and traits of a leader. But some of the most beautiful leaders you have out there are the people that sit in the corner that are like a big warm hug or a comforting blanket in the calm amongst the chaos, the smile that you need at exactly the right time. They're the people that you want to follow too. They bring warmth, they bring kindness. So to those people out there who are saying, well, you know, but I'm not a leader, allied health is not about leadership. Mm -hmm. It's not about being the biggest and the best. It's about being the best at what you do. And that's what leadership is and leading others to actually, the first point is you need to believe in yourself and 
confidence is not who you are, it's what you do, whether mm. you're extroverted or introverted and your core values are what you show through. And I think that all of us can agree that if we looked and collectively looked at some of the best practitioners out there with the best results, is not because they're great technically with their hands or the program that they're writing for somebody. It's, it's the person that they are. And that's where my passion lies with leadership. Allied health professionals by default are nurturing, empathetic, caring human beings. We chose this profession because of who we are and who we've been from a very, very early age. Mm -hmm. And to embrace that and take that to the next level is the next step. And so I, I love, and you know, in some of the comments that we're hearing here is the value systems that you're talking about, the fact that we're forming connections and making things about our patients rather than ourselves and that we're a team and doing it together. A lot of the comments are suggesting that this is, this is what leadership is and this is what is important. I, I completely agree, Jade. And um, I guess just reflecting it, and this is maybe, this is back to the, the key challenge for me today is who else is going to do it but us? We are the people that will lead, we have to, um, the health system into the future. And with the way health trends are going, we are the only people that are situated and have the skills to, to actually, you know, enact some significant change here. And, and I, I can openly say this, I've got emergency doctors in my family and I've got a very medical family and I hope they're okay with me saying this, that they're still stuck in a system that was designed hundreds of years ago for conditions and, and it's done a fantastic job. But conditions that were a, prob a problem, a significant problem hundreds of years ago. And we are the people that need to really take the take charge um, and take this position of inspiring the rest of the health system, our patients. Um, so yeah, I'm very passionate about it, Jade. I think it's important. And I think the other thing as well is that we are real human beings as well. We might be practitioners, we might be physios, chiros, osteos, you might have a position of authority in the medical field, but we are still humans, we're still vulnerable, we still share emotions. I can't tell you how many times I've had a patient cry in front of me and I've burst into tears myself. Mm. It's not unprofessional, it's being human. And obviously everybody has their own boundaries and often I can't stop myself crying, but never ever in all the 18 years that I've been practicing, have I shared somebody's experience with them and, and had it resonate or be responded to poorly so i think that's also one of the keys that we're seeing is that this new age of practitioners i think whilst are very empathetic and you'll hear me talk about this a lot there's a big difference between compassion and sharing somebody's mm. pain and yeah. suffering with somebody by definition yeah. and mm. empathy and you know i've written multiple blogs on the fact that empathy is so important and empathy can actually be taught gratitude can be taught resilience can be taught and this is the key when it comes to leadership is the, the, the stoic philosophy almost that is years and years and years old that we can reflect on simply to make ourselves better people because the better we are in ourselves, in our lives, the more we can help 
other people and influence them for that. And some people are doing it really tough, really tough with pain in their home line, home lives financially. We see it at the moment with COVID at the moment, but it's in times of crisis that the greatest leaders thrive because it's where the foundations of the future are built. It's how you get through times of crisis, whether it be personally or the environment around you. It's how you deal with that situation that you're going to be remembered. And when I was studying at, at Harvard, there was one of my amazing facilitators and he had this great concept that he said, you should live your life like you're writing your own obituary. And he said, it's not meant to be morbid, but he said, you know, imagine right now that you had a couple of people in your life who were going to read your obituary and you had an opportunity to say to them and to ask them, what are you going to say about me? And, you know, I think it's not necessarily a bad thing to reflect on is, you know, how other people perceive you right now, whether that be a practitioner or a person. And I've already said the type of person we are is the type of practitioner we will be. I think every now and again, reflection is how we grow. And that, that's the prescription for growth. That's growth RS. If we're not reflecting on our failures, on our strengths, on our weaknesses, how we would do things differently, how we're perceived by other people, how other people are behaving around us, then we're not growing. And if we're not growing, we're not moving forward. And if we're not moving forward, what are we doing? I, I, I really love this, Jade. Um, I'm just going to jump in and, and reflect because... I share exactly the same philosophy. Um, you live your life like you are, like you, you are. Uh, what do you want to be put on your gravestone? And I think what I, what, what I definitely, and it's exactly what you're just saying. So I think what, what I always think about is what, what am I going to think about what I'm doing right now in 30 years time? Uh, am I going to be proud of it? Am I going to be happy? But I think relating it back to this last point about creating leaders in our patients, these are hard conversations to have with ourselves, but I think these are necessary conversations to have with our patients as well. And yes, not everyone needs to go down this route as a patient, but more and more we are seeing people who are uh, being spat up and, and abused or being, being chewed up, chewed up, chewed up and, and, and and then spat out by the health system and we have to pick up the pieces. And I think um, these are hard conversations to, to start with, but I think there's no one else who, who's going to have them with our patients except for us about, well, we, we can let external factors of the health system dictate uh, our outcome or we, we can choose to really take some ownership take some responsibility and, and this sounds callous, but I think it, it's truly empathetic at the end of the day that you're, 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 you're instilling agency in, in patients that um, how do they want to look back on their life in 30 years and um, see the way they responded to a challenge. And, and it's unfortunate that we talk about the health system like a challenge. Because it shouldn't be that way, but, but unfortunately it is. Um, it's hard. Um, and I think it sounds cliche, it sounds teach to kind of maybe even talk like this to your patients. 
but again, who else is going to do it but us? Uh, and these hard conversations, I think, need to be have, had. I think the point there, we are all one decision away from a totally different life. Yeah. Pretty scary concept when you think about it like that. But it's also one of the greatest gifts that we possess as humans is the ability to choose. We do. We choose how we respond. We choose how we act. We choose how we behave in the consultation room around other people. And I think we can inspire other people to do that too. And it's not about leading just the patient. The patient leads us as well. You know, by listening to them all the time, then we are governed by what they want. Ultimately, they're the ones that are giving up their time. They're the ones paying the money and they're the ones with the outcome that they want. So there's, a huge, there's an element of leadership that's not just practitioner-patient, it's the patient and us as well because we all can learn from each other. But even case managers, you know, if you're dealing with a work cover patient, often sometimes you've got to step in and lead. If you don't have a decision made or you're waiting on funding or you're waiting on, you know, a new treatment plan to be approved, sometimes you've got to pick up the phone and actually get it done. Mm-hmm. And often that's kind of what leadership too is being highly organized and highly productive and highly efficient there's heaps of elements to it beyond core values it's literally acting and doing the work sometimes i completely agree with this and i actually would have to um uh, tip my hat to a mentor of mine steve color and he kind of really instilled this in me in, in that no one's going to no one's going to make these decisions. And so my previous team and, and work was in complex paying clients in the workers' compensation world and it's a tough world. Lots of extenuating circumstances for people. But no one is going to make things happen um, if, if you don't take the lead. And we really have a really important leadership role with, with making sure decisions, appropriate decisions get made by treating parties um, and doing that with, with just being super prepared, as you say, Jade, and working hard on our clinical communication um, and, and doing the really small things. And again, this is a, I'll um, tip the hat. This is a saying from Steve. We do simple things savagely well. We write amazing letters. We take the time to call treating doctors. Um, we let our patients know that we're going to do that. And, and you know, we are change agents here. Um, and again, I think we get into the trap of maybe there's a perception that if we're letting the patient dictate these things, um, that maybe that's falling back and that's not just demonstrating leadership. But I don't think that's what shared decision-making is. And shared decision-making is ultimately one of the most important aspects of high-value care. Um, it's not... Um, defaulting on your responsibility as a health professional, an allied health professional. I think what proper shared decision-making is, is um, lifting up your patient and educating your patient or, or, or creating a shared platform to actually make a really legitimate, informed choice. And so you can get there together. And again, it's going back to this factor of creating a leader. They can make decisions well. Um, yeah. And encouraging people to do things they probably would never have thought possible. Yep. And great leadership is believing in somebody so much that they can't help but believe in themselves. 
which is sort of a great way to finish. But before we do, I just wanted to hear a little bit more about your course. I mean, obviously, leadership is one side of what you cover in your courses, but, you know, you're running a PhD on... I'm going to let you describe what your PhD is on because I'm clearly going to get it wrong. Uh, And just a little bit about the Future Health Network. You can tell us a bit more about that. Great. So two separate things is my my first um, preface is that... The, the PhD is revolving around establishing a practice-based research network. And it's really exciting. So it's trying to get clinicians involved in producing their own research, really lifting up the standard of what we do as allied health professionals, flipping the research model on its head. But the second um, thing here that you're talking about is Future Health Network. And I'd love people to connect with us at Future Health Network. We run courses for health and fitness professionals and allied health professionals. We talk about, it's again, slightly different to other courses out there. We don't provide tools. You're not going to walk away. You're going to walk away with actionable things, but we don't provide the next, the, the, the newest technique. What we provide is frameworks for application, frameworks for critical thinking, frameworks for communication, frameworks for bridging the gap between pain and performance. And for me as a strength coach and a physio, it's very, um, very much in my wheelhouse and frameworks then for creating connections and creating a functioning um, network, a referral network that you can lean on and get your patients better with. That's, that's the course and future health network stuff that would be lovely if people connect with us on that. Amazing. We'll add some links and that sort of stuff. But so your take-home message, I mean, you're so passionate about leadership. What are your hopes for allied health in the future? Uh, as a physio, uh, as, a, as a failed everything else, um, and, and as someone who appreciates everything allied health, osteos, chiros, dietitians, um, all of the other allied health that I haven't mentioned, EPs, um, we are the leaders of the health system into the future. And so my takeaway is a simple challenge. Are we going to step up and, and let the, the others, the other parties in the health system continue to dictate how non-communicable chronic disease and pain is dealt with? Or are we going to start to take the leadership role seriously? Well, you, just listening to you talk, you can hear how passionate you are, how authentic you are. I am thrilled to have connected with you and I'm so grateful to have introduced you to the Growth RF community and wider healthcare professionals out there. Thank you so, so much for your time. I'll hit some people up with some links and some of the graphics that you were talking about. But uh, yeah, again, thank you so much and you can get back to your time at the university. Thank you, Jade. Thanks again. Bye.